Well, good morning, Greenwich, and welcome to the Tuesday, September 26th edition of the Basement Academy. I am glad to share this morning with you another of my favorite psalms. This one is Psalm 26, and I think this is a great psalm to have in our praying repertoire. And so this uh, tells us, the heading says very simply, it's just of David. It's a psalm of David. Vindicate me, O Lord, for I have led a blameless life. I have trusted in the Lord without wavering. Test me, O Lord, and try me. Examine my heart and my mind. For your love is ever before me, and I walk continually in your truth. I do not sit with deceitful men, nor do I consort with hypocrites. I abhor the assembly of evildoers and refuse to sit with the wicked. I wash my hands in innocence and go about your altar, O Lord, proclaiming aloud your praise and telling uh, of all your wonderful deeds. I love the house where you live, O Lord, the place where your glory dwells. Do not take away my soul along with sinners, my life with bloodthirsty men, in whose hands are wicked schemes, whose right hands are full of bribes. But I lead a blameless life. Redeem me and be merciful to me. My feet stand on level ground. In the great assembly, I will praise the Lord. Psalm 26. This must have been written earlier in David's life because we know of his encounter with Bathsheba and all that came from that, all that was wrong with that. And so it is a little interesting for him to think about leading a blameless life, right? Um, and, And not consorting with the hypocrites, you know. So, so Psalm 46, um, why I think this is an important Psalm, it's, it's coming out of David's life or it's written about David, but, but the blessing of praying the Psalms is we find language that we might not use ourselves. We just, we just don't think that way, right? Few of us think in this kind of way. And so we find a language to offer our prayers, to pray our experience, okay? And so this is a psalm that begins with the language of vindication. Vindicate me, O Lord. We don't talk about this much, if, if really ever. I mean, when have you heard a study or a sermon on vindication? Vindicate me, O Lord. Each of us has this, um, that this reflects a deep desire, a deep need, a deep reality within the human family and the human condition, this need to clear our name. Now we find ourselves, each of us, uh, at times, few of us find it constantly, but each of us find it at some time with ourselves somehow falsely accused 
um, of, of some action or some word or some, something we said or did or didn't say or didn't do, right? You know, this, the, the sin of omission that sometimes we're accused of. And, and we feel like our character has been impugned. Our reputation has been tarnished somehow. Our, our name has been besmirched. And so when we feel like we're, we've been wronged or blamed for something that we just, we don't think we did anything wrong here, um, we want to be vindicated, right? That's that, 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 that emotional reality, the, the heart and mind work together. We feel somewhat attacked, maybe a little offended, slighted. There's something there, maybe, you know, kind of a little... They think I did what? You know, kind of an outrage almost. And then our mind is like, well, I didn't do anything. This is unfair. This is not right. And so that thing of heart and mind working together is the desire for vindication. Maybe you took a stand, a principled stand on something and you were attacked for it. Okay, so that may be another way um, <clears throat> you're being accused of being narrow-minded or bigoted or something for taking a what you understand to be a faithful stand on Scripture. The tendency in the human family is to get defensive. They said, what? Well, I'm going to tell them a thing or two. Or we talk about that person. We, we rarely go to them because most of us are conflict-averse but we are not gossip averse, right? So we will kind of attack the other, the person that we perceive has attacked us or that group that we believe has wronged us somehow. We will in turn attack, not directly, but often indirectly. Well, let me tell you a thing or two about that person, okay? It better then responding that way is to pray that desire, pray that sense of offense, pray that, that outrage, pray that confusion. Vindicate me, oh God. And so that's why this psalm is so, so helpful. Rather than defend ourselves, because that looks like you're getting defensive and that starts to look a little suspicious. Oh, me thinkest thou protest too much. <laughs> and so we, you know, often get emotional in the defense of ourself. And so rather than try to defend ourselves, let us pray, God, be my vindicator. And this is Jesus. Jesus, as he was falsely accused there uh, in, in front of Pilate, uh, in front of the Sanhedrin, eventually in front of Pilate, he does not defend himself. I mean, he could have called down legions of angels. He could have, you know, incinerated the group in a second. But he chose to let God be his vindicator. There was a pathway to which God was going to vindicate Jesus. That is the resurrection to demonstrate his, his innocence. Um, there's a passage in 1 Peter that I think is important to know. 1 Peter chapter 2, um, looking at my reference here, verse 19. This is Peter writing to the early church that found itself persecuted because of its faith. For This is 1 Peter 2.19. For it is commendable 
If a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he is conscious of God. It is commendable if you bear up under unjust suffering as, as you know, because you're conscious of God. How is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. And then it quotes uh, the Old Testament, um, Isaiah. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. That's 1 Peter 2, 23, 19 to 23. Jesus set the example for those who feel wronged unjustly. Jesus entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He entrusted God to be his vindicator. Vindicate me, O God. Jesus would have known Psalm 26. He would have prayed Psalm 26. So maybe in that spirit, he just let God, maybe inwardly he was praying Psalm 26. Vindicate me, O God. And then the psalmist goes on, and this is important. Verse two, test me, O Lord, and try me. Examine my heart and my mind. If we're gonna pray for vindication, we better make sure that we do have, your conscience may be clear, but you may need to be examined about that. Lord, examine my heart and mind. Lord, test me, try me. And so it's an invitation to let God shine the light on our lives, on our, our, our words and our actions and our motives and our attitudes. It's a willingness to subject ourselves to scrutiny and cross-examination, if I could say it that way. If you have nothing to hide, if you have a clear conscience, then you should not fear the questions, right? You should not fear the examination from God. Now, this is not quite a prayer of confession. It can turn to that in our own praying of this psalm because as we think about it, we go, oh, hmm. Yeah, there, yeah, I think I did overstep the bounds there, you know. So, <clears throat> so we've talked before about self-examination. This is part of the Christian life. We, we search our own mind, our own conscience, our own hearts, our own motives. This is part of the repentance that leads to confession. Repentance is to rethink. I want to rethink my life. I want to replay my day. Hmm. This, though, is not quite confession. It's the invitation to scrutiny. God, examine me. Send your spirit. Speak your word. And so it, it's a willingness to, to, to uh, allow ourselves to be searched by God. Psalm 139 ends in a wonderful way. Search me, O God, and know my thoughts. Test me and know my anxious heart or my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. That's how Psalm 139 ends. 
And so the necessary companion to a prayer for vindication is this willingness to be examined. I think I am clear. I believe I have done no wrong. But search me. Examine me, O Lord. Okay? And so I think these two work uh, together. And so the the psalmist... you know, kind of doubles down. I, I do not sit with deceitful men. I do not consort with hypocrites. I abhor the assembly or the gathering of evildoers, so I stay out of the pool hall, right? I refuse to sit with the wicked. I wash my hands in innocence as I go about your altar, proclaiming aloud your praise. And so, and so there's some kind of bold assertions that the psalmist is making. <clears throat> so as we pray this, we need to make sure that we ourselves are not sitting and consorting with those who are doing wrong. <clears throat> when you were in conversation at work and things were happening, were you you know, chiming in for the off-color jokes? Were you chiming in on the gossip uh, if you're, you know, in some other gathering? Rarely are we blameless, right? (laughs) We'll just say it that way. Rarely are we blameless. And then the psalmist goes on, verse 8, I love the house where you live, O Lord, the place where your glory dwells. Mm. Now, in this context, it's probably a reference to Jerusalem and the temple. Could be reference to a synagogue. For us, it would be a reference to church. The gathering place, the house of worship. Now, we know God does not live in a house made with human hands. We, we know that. But God condescends to meet with his frail and frail and feeble creatures in such houses. Now, the house at Greenwich is a structure built in 2015. Prior to that, it was a structure built in 1858. But it could be a storefront church. It could be a cathedral. It could be an underground church. It could be a home. It could be a living room. There are many places where God's people gather. And where God's people gather, there the Lord gathers with them. But here it's a reference to, you know, likely the, the, the temple. And so, as we're seeking vindication, as we're seeking, you know, opening ourselves to examination, this leads us to worship, to contemplate God the mercy of God, the grace of God, the forgiveness of God, the power of God, the holiness of God, the justice of God. We could just go on through a list of God's attributes. The love and faithfulness of God, the righteousness and peace of God that meet together and kiss each other as we read yesterday in Psalm 85. And so this is a great, this is why I love this psalm. Now, I vocationally, have a responsibility to show up at the house of God. And so it's a priority of mine to, to lead worship. This is part of my calling. You, you are 
few of you are called to lead worship. Some of you may be in the choir, maybe a musician at Greenwich um, or, or some other church if you're not part of the Greenwich family. Uh, some of you may be elders uh, and deacons who lead from time to time. So as I pray this psalm, I love, I love the, the, the house where you live, oh, oh Lord, the place where your glory dwells. So for me, I then pray about the gathered worship. I'm thinking about last Sunday. I'm thinking about next Sunday, thinking about the sermon series. I'm thinking about what, what songs to choose um, and, and the like. And, and how... How is, are we leading God's people? Am I leading God's people into the presence of God? Not just doing church. We can do church. We can do so in a rote way, in an inattentive way, but to call the people of God to worship, to, to proclaim God's word, to lead in prayer, to, to be present with you in a manner that calls us to be attentive to God. <clears throat> so that's my way of praying this prayer. But let me turn it on you. If you were to pray Psalm 26, do you love the house where God lives? Do you love the house, the place where God dwells? Do you love church? If so, you'll go to church, right? And, and I, the, the words I'm going to say are not intended to be scoldy, uh, accusatory, or anything. They, they are but they are the gentle words of a pastor who maybe has his staff in hand to poke and prod a little bit. Why don't all Christians go to their house of worship every Sunday? I don't understand it. Why do you not want to be in the presence of God every Sunday? We are commanded, so I will listen to what God the Lord will say. That's Psalm 85, right? We read that yesterday. I will listen to what God the Lord will say. And God says, come. Jesus says, come. Come to me, you who are weary, heavy laden. Come, gather and worship. Come, lift your voice in praise. Come, hear my word. Come, enjoy the, the benefits of fellowship in the community. Come, be in that place where the Spirit is operating and moving. Come, hear a word for you to comfort you, to challenge you, to strengthen you, to build you up. And so, you know, I grew up in a kind of a Christmas and Easter and a few other times of, of the year go, going church. You know, that was the, the, the church of my youth. I mean, that was the family of my youth. I came to faith in Christ down at UVA I just want to go to church. And then, of course, I was called into church. But for me, going to church became a place of encounter, a place of growth, a place of examination. I, I'm not trying to brag or boast. I'm just saying God called me in a way. So it's no surprise I got called into the ministry, right? I really love the house of God. And I love the people of God. I hope that comes through on Sunday mornings. Despite what I said last week, if I don't always want to preach because I'm human too, I have ups and downs. <clears throat> but I do not understand why the people of God don't come every Sunday. So we have roughly 500 people on our membership rolls and another 100-ish, 125-ish that, you know, call Greenwich home. And then there's a few that are making it their home, haven't joined yet. So we're roughly a six to 700 member community. 
but we only have about half of that in worship on any given Sunday. I, I just, I don't understand it. So that sounded maybe scoldy, but I'm just puzzled. And so that's why this psalm is good. So when we pray the psalms every month on the 26th, we should ask ourselves, do I love the house where the Lord lives, the place where his glory dwells? If his glory is dwelling there, how can we not be there? And so this is an invitation to examine our own selves and our own worshiping habits. And, and what I would say is, I think we need to prepare, we need to make Sunday morning, that is the high point of the week. That's not a, that's not a one-off, oh yeah, the high point of the week is Saturday night when I'm going out and with my friends. You know, we all plan our weeks. Is Sunday morning the highlight of your week? I think it should be for Christians. I think it should be. That's the place where we meet with God. We meet with God's people. We hear the word. And then we are sent out. We are commissioned out unto another week of service uh, to bless and love our neighbor and to serve our families and to, and to earn a living, etc. And so Sunday's the highlight of the people of God. It's not the, it's not the, oh yeah, I guess we'll go to church this week. It's the afterthought. No, it's the first thought. I believe it should be the first thought, okay? And so I, I guess I'll, I'll offer it that way. And so let me encourage you to prepare yourself for worship. Get it on the calendar. Think about it, not just Saturday night. You know, oh yeah, I think I'll try to go. So I'll go to, I won't go to stay out late at the party, whatever. But think about Sunday, be preparing your heart, and then contemplate the message you heard from last week and prepare yourself to come to worship and speak to me. Because, you know, we preach these sermons in series for a reason. We're, we're trying to disciple and shape the people of God. And so we, we think gathering uh, around a theme or a topic or a book of the Bible over a, an extended period of time will help us grow. So it's not just a sermon here, a sermon there, a sermon there, and, and, and another one. Week by week, they build on each other to help deepen us. But if you're only attending worship sporadically, you miss that. And so it is a one-off kind of, kind of thing. So anyway, I'll stop there. I, I, weigh, I love the way the... Um, Psalm ends, my feet stand on level ground in the great assembly, I will praise the Lord. The great assembly being church, right? Uh, the assembly of God's people. <clears throat> my feet stand on level ground, the, 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 this notion of foundation, a, a ground. We are grounded, the, the solid rock of God, the solid rock of Christ, his word, this bedrock of, of, of truth and grace and, and God's forgiveness and mercy but it also calls to mind a phrase that perhaps you've heard as well. I heard it a number of years ago. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. My feet stand on level ground. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. Now the psalmist doesn't know a cross of Jesus is going to be in the future of God's uh, plans and purposes for humanity. So he's probably talking about, I just, I, I've got this level grounded approach to life. I'm in the house of worship and I've got foundation under me. Vindicate me, Lord. Search me. I'm paying attention to your word. I love to be in your presence and I'm confident 
that I'm standing on the foundation of your word. The ground is level at the foot of the cross means that no one of us is better than another. I like that language. And so this reminds me as I pray it to thank God for my the mercy of my sins. And it also says, I don't need to worry about the sins of anybody else. I'm no better than anybody else. My life may be blameless in my mind, but that doesn't mean I'm better than anybody else. I'm just humbly there at the foot of the cross looking up, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner. And so I love the way the psalm ends. As Christians, we can pray this and, and, and it leans us into the cross. So anyway, love this psalm. Could talk about it all day, but let's just, let's wrap up here. So friends, I hope you make Psalm 26 one of your favorite psalms also. Let's pray. Lord, be pleased to vindicate us when we have been wronged unjustly. Be pleased to search and examine heart and mind, test and try us, Lord, and lead us in the way everlasting if, if there is something amiss in our lives. Lead us to a deeper joy uh, in the house of worship. Thank you for Greenwich and our many churches. And Lord, thank you for the cross of Jesus and, and the, the reality that, that the ground is level, that we are humble sinners each, grateful for our, our, our forgiveness and mercy. So Lord, encourage us, strengthen us uh, as we lean into this new day and hear our prayers as we make them in the name of Jesus who taught us to pray together saying, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. May God bless you with a heart that seeks him this day and this Sunday as we gather for worship. May God bless you now and forevermore. Amen.